Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. What was more satisfying, Brad? Seeing the Michigan flag being planted in the middle of the O in OSU's field? Or seeing Alex Nedeljkovic wearing the Michigan gear because he had a bet with Dylan Larkin? Ned, obviously an OSU fan from Ohio, uh, and seeing him wear the maize and blue. Either one of those was like just like the perfect Red Wings Michigan fans day after, just immersed in the moment uh, from Michigan's victory over Ohio State. There's no bad answer here. No, there there's really no is wrong not. answer. I know there's a lot of state fans uh, who are immediately going to be pissed off and have probably already turned off the episode, but look. This is, uh, someone joked, they were like, this is Michigan's Super Bowl, or like Michigan doesn't even care if they win the national title. And I don't want to say that's true, but it sure feels like Michigan was somehow won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's not true, but it's close. Uh, other good news, by popular demand, we had to listen to the people, the Mickey Redmond style winged wheel podcast uh, flannels that are special custom runs in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation back in stock. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash shop. If you want to go get yours, it's another limited run. There's only so many of these that we can produce. Uh, last time we we got enough where we thought it would last us at like half the season at least, if not more. Uh, it, they were gone, was it three days or something like that? We had We were able to advertise them for one episode before they were all gone. So this may be our one episode. So if you want them, get them. They go fast. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash shop. They're uh, officially approved by Mickey Redmond, uh, Winged Wheel Podcast, Custom Flannels, and it's uh, a portion of the proceeds, uh, as much as we can, is in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Um, Make a rocks one. Ken has rocked one on air for Bally Sports Detroit. And uh, yeah, it's probably our, our favorite, my favorite piece of apparel that we've ever produced. Oh, also, someone uh, uh, said, when are you going to, make black mugs like black mugs with the logo because before it was like a white mug with like a black background behind the logo anyways there's black mugs like actual black glossy mugs with our logo on it we're gonna have them in studio soon but those are also on the shop all that said the detroit red wings have done quite enough since last episode to have us talk about it so folks welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about all things detroit red wings nhl hockey uh and the world of hockey beyond i am one of your hosts ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And Evan's not here, but we have our Mark Stahl 1000 shirt sitting in uh, the middle chair today, so definitely the best looking of us three. What we have for you on the docket today is we're going to recap the Red Wings' most recent win against the Arizona Coyotes, uh, which was an incredibly hyped up game, like, and I'm not even saying that ironically. like That was genuinely a massive win, and the crowd was about to blow the roof off of the LCA. Uh, we'll be talking about Larkin's winner, uh, Red Hot. Ronick, there you go, Brad. Uh, Andrew Kopp had himself a great game. The atmosphere in the LCA, some important stats about where the Red Wings are now, uh, and any other storylines about Detroit. Uh, we'll also be talking about something that started last week, and we expected the story to progress, but it hasn't really, uh, and that's Magnus Helberg, who the Red Wings claimed off waivers, and that still has to develop. So we'll be taking a look at that. Uh, we're going to take a look at the NHL playoff picture, not just Detroit's odds of making it, but 
uh, from everyone across the league and uh, whatever else comes up before overtime. Before that, something really, really important. This is going to be the last episode that's going to air before Hot Stove Stories featuring Mick and Ken on Thursday, December 1st. It's a morning event from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. at Motor City Casino in Detroit. Folks, I really want to see everyone pack the room in there. Uh, what it is, it's a uh, event hosted uh, by myself. Uh, Mickey Redmond and Ken Daniels will be there, as well as Chris Osgood, Chris Draper, Daniel Halloran, and Wes McCauley from the refereeing world. So between those four, you know the stories are going to be uh, incredible and insightful and uh, colorful, to say the least. Uh, I have been game planning with Ken. Uh, we've been talking about some of the different things that we might hear there, and I mean it when I say these are going to be some of the uh, best hockey stories, and a lot of them unheard before. Uh, you put those four in a room and I'm going to have to do no talking at all. I'm just going to say go. And it's going to be just like winged wheel podcast nights. Actually, Brad, we just sit there and shut up. Really? Uh, it is going, there's going to be a live Q and a, uh, uh, discussion between everyone. There's going to be a live auction for some really, really great items. Um, some VIP ticket packages and such. There's also a silent auction happening right now until December 1st. It ends in the morning at 9 45 AM. That's at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. The whole event is in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. Uh, so it goes to a really great cause. Those NHL and refereeing legends in the room, it, it's going to be a fantastic time. Uh, breakfast is included, of course. Uh, so again, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Bid on the uh, great items on the silent auction, like a signed Mo Sider jersey or a signed Dylan Larkin game use stick or a bunch of other things. Uh, get tickets to the event. Uh, and I hope to see many of your smiling faces in that room. Brad, um, I want to say it was a couple weeks ago, or no, before this four-game Red Wings win streak started. I think it was after the Anaheim OT loss. Yeah, so it would have been our episode on on the 16th, that Wednesday night. You said to me, for Detroit to not fall out of it before an extremely tough December schedule starts, they have four games ahead against San Jose, Columbus, Nashville, and Arizona. And you think they have they pretty much have to grab seven of those eight points based on the quality of the teams and the tough schedule they have after that. I said to you, I don't know that with how they're playing right now that they'll even grab five or six, even though I agree with the premise of it. The Red Wings grabbed eight of a possible eight. Four wins, three of them in regulation. So those go in the RW column. First of all, you were right because you thought they could. Second of all, what an important run by the Red Wings leading up to this December. Again, it's easy to criticize the Red Wings for having a great record, but having a soft schedule. And we've repeated ad nauseum. You can only play your schedule. You get us a run of weaker teams or a prolonged run of weaker teams. You have to capitalize. I mean, it's the NHL. Even bad teams are good more often than they're bad. Um, Sometimes they just play poorly. Sometimes they play punch well above their weight. It's hockey. It's random. But looking at that schedule and looking at the Red Wings, yeah, they they were the favorite in every game. And when you are coming up on a really tough stretch in an extremely tough division, you can't miss these opportunities. Because we talked about, you know, the lost points in Anaheim and against Chicago earlier. They only lost two points between those two games, but... You can't let that happen regularly. Yeah. Four for four. It's perfect. It's what you could ask for. Now, you know, the Red Wings don't have 
breathing room because Florida and Tampa are still right at their heels. Wow, imagine saying that sentence a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, because um, Florida and Tampa are right at their heels, they now have some margin for error Yeah, to not follow to the playoff race before the New Year's. So if they go through this tough stretch at like 500, they're not dead. They're not, their season's not over. We're not talking about the trade deadline. We're not talking about the draft lottery. They're still very much in it, in all likelihood. Um, I mean, it, again, it's a tough division. I would not be surprised to see three teams rattle off win streaks, but traditionally speaking, it's unlikely. Now, if the Red Wings can somehow have a plus points percentage this month, and by this month, I mean December upcoming, not only are they in a great spot for a run, they're in the driver's seat because if they can get through a really, because I think they have games against Florida and Tampa coming up in this stretch, which will be, you know, four point swings Yep, and a couple other teams in uh conference that are going to be relevant to their playoff races. So, you know, again, I don't expect the Red Wings to have a good month overall, just because as good as they've been playing, as good as Huso's playing, the talent discrepancy between them and a lot of the teams they're competing with, they are not on the favorable end of that. But they got a chance. They've got some margin for error. And they've got a huge opportunity to really cement themselves in this playoff race now. Because I know all the talk about American Thanksgiving, but we've talked about why the Red Wings schedule kind of makes that a false narrative for them this season. And, you know, getting close to Christmas will be the true test. But no decorations up. And out of respect to Evan, I'm waiting until December. So next episode, you will see that damn tree in here. <laughs> but because Evan needs a break right now, I, I chose to not decorate quite yet. Yeah, th- yeah, this is the time. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm. This is going to sound very pessimistic, but it's not meant to be. I'm not optimistic the Red Wings are going to have a good December, but I am super intrigued because I don't think this month is going to be the write-off like we probably would have thought it would have been before the season. Yeah, look at, looking at how the Red Wings won their four games, and I'm going to talk about the Arizona game in, in a second here, but you know they had the win against San Jose. That wasn't perfect, but the from the second period onwards, really, they picked it up. Uh, the win against Columbus, which was a team they should dominate and did dominate in every way. They went against Nashville, which was on the backs on the back of Billy Huso, and against Arizona, like they battled through essentially what other teams have faced with Billy Huso this year with Vimelka, where he essentially kept Arizona in it. They capitalized at the end when Detroit got into some penalty trouble, pulled their goalie, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they still pulled off the win. Like those are different kinds of wins, and it's very much the Red Wings need to find a way to when, when they are not the best team on the ice or they come up against some kind of hardship or, you know, capitalize when they get those points. And it, it was it's a nice medley of them finding a way to do that each game. That said, like you just articulated, Brad, Toronto Monday night is going to be tough. Vegas Saturday night is going to be tough. Not to mention, like, I'm, I'm skipping over Buffalo, uh, Columbus. Those are weaker teams, but you can't take those for granted. Can't take Buffalo for granted. Look what they did to Detroit already this season. Yeah. Tampa, Florida, Dallas is a brutal run of games, and then Carolina after. Like we've talked about it a trillion times by now. Everyone knows how tough the December schedule is, and and we're setting this arbitrary benchmark of like the fifteenth or the twenty second, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's impressive, even that the Red Wings are in a position to keep us talking about it right now, because they very if these last four games had had gone differently, 
we wouldn't be talking about, oh, December, they have some margin, like you said. We would be talking about, well, December is going to pile on to what's already a really shitty situation. So the Red Wings, credit to him, credit to Derek Lalone, credit to the Detroit Red Wings, uh, you know, players elevating them to these victories, Larkin, Hronik, uh, Huso, Cop deserves some credit lately. A bunch of those guys, they're in the conversation. And they're in the conversation not just among Red Wings fans, but across the league. People are wondering, is this real? You can't sit here and just say, oh, it's 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 not going to hold, so you can't be optimistic about it. No, like Derek Lalone will be the first to say, I'm not thinking about playoffs right now. But the only option that the Red Wings have are to er, is to pretty much, and it sounds corny, but live in the moment, take it game at a time and see what you can execute and, and see what you can squeeze out. And who knows where we're going to be in a few weeks. Yeah, uh, like I said, I'm I'm super intrigued to see how this month goes. And in regards to the four-game win streak, it's probably worth mentioning because we've had streaks in years past where the Red Wings won on like a bunch of games on PDO benders or a hot goalie. The Red Wings were the better team in all four games. Like even the Nashville game, despite Nashville getting a lot of really good chances, Detroit still carried the play for most of the game. Detroit still outshot them. Detroit came on strong towards the end. They were the better team against San Jose. They were the better team against Columbus. They were the better team against Arizona. So they weren't fluky wins, which, you know, again, you're expected to beat those teams, but when you do it and you do it without needing a good bit of luck, again, it's a it's a positive sign. Let's talk about the Red Wings win over Arizona. And a lot of these storylines are going to be pretty much the exact same as uh, what we've seen, like, it's led by, I think, what was a solid performance from Vili Husso. Not perfect, but especially when it mattered. Like, in the shootout, it was the inverse of what we saw against Montreal. Husso was uh, absolutely perfect. Um, Andrew Kopp ended up scoring the first goal, which I think was important. I mean, we talked last episode, and Max talked last episode, about how Andrew Kopp, it just doesn't add up that he's all of a sudden fallen off in, in such a way. Even when you look at, you know, certain specific stats like face-off percentages. No one loses that much off their face-off percentage when they were a career consistent, significantly above 50% guy, and all of a sudden you're in the 40s. So Kopp ended up opening scoring on the power play, which looked good that game. Uh, the shot came from Raymond, it deflected off a body, landed in front, and he uh, cleaned it up in front, which is not the first time that uh, we've seen Kopp score that way. So, you know, he's finding uh, he's finding himself pretty valuable there in that slot or, or net front presence. Uh, somewhat on the power play. And I think, honestly, overall, just to talk about Andrew Kopp for a second, one of his best games all season, and I I think probably I would call it his best game as a Detroit Red Wing. Yeah, we knew he was better than he was showing. We knew the injury was probably playing into it. We We gave him maybe a bit more rope than he needed, but, you know, whatever. It's early in a season, long season, and... I think we all knew he was never going to be a, a scoring sensation. He wasn't going to be a 60, 70 point guy for the Red Wings. He was a versatile 200 foot guy who could fill in on the second line center and and maybe chip in a bit over a half a point per game. And that's what we've been seeing. That's what he looks like. And that's what he's been delivering. You know, you could argue about, well, is that worth almost six mil a year? Maybe. Um, but he's he's been as advertised, which is good. I think, you know, he doesn't have to score every game and he doesn't have to have the counting stats all the time, but I think his counting stats have been 
deceptively good to this point, like or at least sufficient, like you said, as advertised. As long as he can get incrementally better every game, and it's got to be tough for him. That's all I need to see from Cop this season. So I, I, in my mind, I'm seeing enough to be pretty optimistic that that's going to happen. Uh, Detroit's second goal came from, again, a, just a blast from the past. Philip Ronick scored his moving away from the net on the left side, one T, uh, opposite side of the like opposite side of the net, and that was something that when Hronik was scoring earlier on in his career, consistently and dangerously, it's not like the hardest slap shot in the world. It's not a laser beam, but it's just so perfectly placed, especially against a good goalie. You kind of need to do that. Um, high degree of difficulty. I think Brad, you can speak to that as well. It's an insanely hard shot to hit consistently. And we saw him do it for years without hitting, getting even close to the net, like launching that puck a mile up and over. But that was vintage Tronic once again. And he extended his uh, goal streak to four straight games, which is uh, matches the longest goal streak by a defenseman in Red Wings franchise history. Matthew Schneider did it in 0506. Lidstrom did it in 2000, 2001. And Reed Larson did it in 80, 81. So pretty good company and more more red hot Ronick. red hot and yeah that one timer was one of those plays that's more impressive than it looked because not only is it you know hard to hit a one timer with accuracy especially moving as he was and, and the fluidity of that play but that pass went to his front foot maybe even a little ahead of it and most people tell you that's not where they want a one timer in the best of scenarios let alone the scenario where, you know, he's skating into the puck. So he had to get his hands and his momentum in front of him, which is extremely hard in that scenario. And yeah, not only did he manage to get, you know, good wood on it with accuracy again, like it, that was a, a super difficult one-timer to pull off and, and he did it perfectly. Raymond, I think it was Lucas Raymond said after the game, everything is going in for this guy. And it's true. Like you can never tell me hockey isn't a sport based on like streakiness and emotions and a guy just feeling it. Stuff that's incredibly difficult to quantify and qualify. Ronick is feeling it. He's in the zone. He is absolutely everything he touches turns to gold. And you don't need to compare him to anyone else other than Philip Ronick at this time last year, even. How many times have we seen him take that shot? And it just Missed the net, hit a, hit a shin pad, wasn't the right time to take the shot, double clutched, whatever it might have been. This is Hronik feeling it. He has all the same tools he's had in the past. He's the you know same skill set, whatever. He's trying a lot of the same things, but it's just going in right now. It inspires a lot of confidence um, in, in that this is, I don't want to say permanent, like we're always going to see him scoring every game. That's obviously not reasonable. But he's not doing things where I'm like, oh, Philip Peronik has never been that kind of player, so this will eventually go away. It inspires confidence that he can do this more or less often than he has been in the past, which is massive. Because if you know your right D is Mo Sider and Philip Peronik playing like this, and whoever else you want to stick on that third pairing, that's a really good set of right-handed defensemen. At a position that is not easily found in the NHL these days. Yeah. We talked about this a lot last episode. Uh, previous years, we would have seen a player play like this and say, oh my God, capitalize by trading him for the most you can now. You don't take those things off the table. The Red Wings are still far away from being a perennial Stanley Cup contender, like a far ways away. But they're also firmly in. You don't just get rid of good players 
for nothing or even for a pittance territory. Like it would have to be an offer Eisenman can't refuse to get rid of uh, Philip Peronic playing like this. And like you said, Brad, a, a premium position. And he's he's cost controlled. They have him down for another year um, at four point, what is it, five or, or something. Uh, and then he's an RFA upon expiry. So they have team control and uh, another year of, of this good cap hit from Peronic. So really great to see. Jordan Osterley, who only scores bangers, decides, I want to be a defenseman and score two. Walks up just to the left of the net, top of the circle, and rips it on Vimelka, who played a phenomenal game and got beat by Jordan Osterley. Like, I, that, that guy, the way he scores is always so funny. Like, I always find myself laughing my ass off. Uh, that was to make it 3-1 Red Wings. And that is actually the goal that gave uh, Raymond and Bertuzzi both their second assist. So, Bertuzzi, who has, you know, had his wart since he, he's come back, uh, it's nice to see him produce even in the background wasn't again you're, we're not seeing vintage Bertuzzi or, or the best version of Bertuzzi quite yet uh, but it's good that he and Raymond um, uh, picked up uh, points that game and, and continued their counting stats game was I think firmly dominated by the Red Wings they were the much better team shouldn't have been surprised that Arizona is a team that they should dominate I don't think Arizona has been the tire fire that we've all expected them to be this year but Detroit still the better team on paper and should have come in and had the win but oh man Vimelka is unreal like he kept them in it for so long goal saved above expected he's top five in the NHL I'm pretty sure right now Jeez. Like, he, he's not just you know a goalie facing a ton of shots behind a bad team He's legitimately making a difference for them, which might be a problem given what their ultimate goal is this season. So, hey, I mean, good on him. And like I said earlier, like this is this must be what the Red or Red Wings opponents feel when Vili Husso steals a game. So Detroit, I think, controlled that game. They got into some late penalty trouble in the third, which has become a little bit of a habit. It's not the first time we've seen it. Uh, I understand their penalty kill has been good, but I would prefer to see them not put themselves in that position. Because what happened was, you know, Arizona had all that pressure because of the, uh, because of the power plays, like two consecutive or or close enough together at the end of the third period, had the goalie pulled towards the end, and then uh, there's only so much Philly Huso can do. He was making save after save after save, but eventually Arizona broke through with I think 20, yeah 26 seconds left, uh, which was a bummer because at that point. That was Detroit's game to win. They should have really had that one in regulation. To nitpick, that should have been uh, 3-2 in 60 minutes. Anyhow, another late goal against the Red Wings to send it to overtime. Uh, overtime goes through. We go to the shootout. Every goalie, uh, or Vimelkin, who so saved the first five shots, Dylan Larkin, sixth shot. The LCA was rocking before he even went up to shoot. They know Dylan Larkin... The captain has been playing absolutely out of his mind this season. Uh, skates up, buries it, stick handles left side on Vimelka, and, and the Red Wings win. And man, Red Wings fans are feeling that this team is different. They're feeling that this team is winning again, and they're feeling that this isn't like the last five seasons. And you can hear it in that one clip alone. Like so many people sent me videos of themselves from the arena, and that that place was just buzzing after Larkin got that game winner. Well, the old hockey adage, winning cures all. Red Wings and Red Wings fans are finding out quickly that is very true. You can have flaws. You can have bad memories of recent history. Yeah. 
but it can turn and it can turn quickly um especially when you're riding the good vibes four game winning streak you know there's always something for as gimmicky as the shootout is there's some good drama to it when it happens especially in a situation like that where it's like all right the game is literally on his stick yeah and it's your captain and you know it's a big moment in a season where you're turning around like you know to, to steal a movie about a line from another movie how can he not be romantic about hockey oh man there, there's always storylines like this and it's been a long time since the red wings have been at the forefront of any of them you know i was i've been listening to a couple other hockey podcasts they're talking about you know pretenders contenders a couple people have said yeah they don't think detroit's real but holy hell do they hope they are yeah it's a it's a great story like uh, the team that's been the doormat of the atlantic for the last Five, six years, finally starts punching back and has done it for more than a couple weeks. You're totally right about like the storyline and building up to that moment and the drama of it because we didn't see Larkin for the first two shooters. Nobody scored a single goal. It's a game where the Red Wings dominated. The crowd was into it, but they still didn't secure the win yet. And then before they showed Larkin, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be Larkin's shot. And, and like you said, it was on his stick. And it's just one of those moments out of a movie. I'm talking about like a middle of November, right? Now, like against, against Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. But the, they, it's it's one of those moments where the crowd knows that puck is going in. And Larkin knows it's going in. And he skated up and shot like he knew it was going in. It's the energy. I say the same thing when we, when we see Red Wings fans in like San Jose or Nashville or uh, wherever else where the Red Wings have always traveled well in terms of fandom and, and they have fans everywhere. Uh, but that kind of went dormant for a little while when the Red Wings have, I think scientifically speaking, sucked hard. Uh, and that's coming back now. And you see those fans and it, it just makes me, it, it's the same feeling between that and the way the crowd is buzzing after a, a win like that. It's, again, this team is on the rise. I, I I can't argue with people who have more of a national perspective where it's like, are the Red Wings real? Are they really going to be a divisional seed like that caliber team? Probably not, but it's fun as hell, man. And you hope to see him hang on for as long as he can. Something that Mickey Redmond talked about in that game was uh, Philip Peronic. He, he showed a little defensive play from Philip Peronic where he had a good stop and then transitioned back up the ice. And, and that was a good demonstration of both aspects of Heronic's game that have been much better recently. I should qualify by saying I don't think Heronic is a defensive stalwart. He never will be. He's not going to be a shutdown defenseman uh, like, you know, if you want to call Olimata that. But he really has been a lot better at those little plays. We've talked about it before. He's done a little of the mill cider, like shutting the puck down in the neutral zone before it even crosses Detroit's blue line, uh, stripping the puck as they try to break in, whatever it might be, and then immediately putting it to transition. And that, obviously, anyone who knows hockey knows that good off good offense starts with a good defense. So it's paying dividends into his own game, but he really does look substantially better. And Mickey Redmond made a point to call out Bob Bugner one of the associate coaches with the Red Wings who has a, like he he manages the defense and he has a strong defensive focus both in his coaching and, and his responsibilities with the Red Wings. So are we seeing the dividends paid from Bob Bugner's um, coaching for the Red Wings this season with in Philip Ronick's game? You'd have to think so. Um, it, it's tough to say. So my honest answer is yes, probably. But I think most of the credit still here has to go to Heronic because I know we talked about it when we were talking about Heronic in relation to playing with Ole Mata. Heronic has 
this year seemed to have figured out when to pick his spots. He's reading the play better in front of him. So obviously coaching has to have something to do with that, whether it's he can play within the system a little easier, whether the system plays to his strengths a little more, whether Bugner is encouraging him to go out and, and try some things and do the things he's been doing. Or if it's been the opposite, uh, just, Hey, simplify it, find the space and, and smash it. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things you could point to that have improved or have evolved in Heronic's game. And we're, we're never going to know whether that's all Heronic, Mata, Bugner. The reality is it's probably a little bit of all three. Oh, it's a combination of everything. It's yeah. absolutely a combination of all three. So the the perfect storm of, you know, fixing a good player who was struggling. Well... If that can continue to happen, like that is just, it's exactly what the Red Wings need, right? Because Derek Lalone is a defensive-minded coach, first and foremost. He always talks about team defense, and the Red Wings overall have been buying in with much better team defense this year. Um, but if that needs to be accentuated and supported by a strong actual defense. So if Bob Bugner is able to come in and make those waves, is it all Bugner? Is it all Mata? Is it all Ronick? No, 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 no. Uh, it's Jordan Osterley. No, I'm kidding. It is a bunch of different factors melding into one and that's how, that's the way hockey works but it can't just be you know the forwards having more defensive responsibility it needs to be the defenseman that the Red Wings have right now is it the best defensive roster in the league far from it far from it but it's what they have much like you can only play the schedule you have you can only play with the team that you have and if Bugner can maximize or help to maximize what the Red Wings have that is going to be points on the board in the standings more on the Red Wings in just a moment. First, I want to tell everyone that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you uh, with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. I know we made a lot of like frequent flyer mile jokes about players to and from on the taxi squad and you know, whatever other juniors coming up from uh, uh, Grand Rapids. But, man, Magnus Helberg. I imagine him a little bit like uh, Tom Hanks in the terminal. Like, just never leaves the airport. Although he does go from airport to airport. So between Detroit, Ottawa, and Seattle, like, just endlessly flying between those three cities. So the Red Wings uh, reacquired goalie Magnus Helberg from Seattle who was uh, put on waivers and the Red Wings claimed him. So the Red Wings who originally brought him over to the NHL 
from uh, Europe now get the goalie back. And it was interesting because the Red Wings still have Billy Huso and Alex Nedeljkovic, and they're both healthy as of right now, uh, which begged the question, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? <laughs> it's, here's the thing. Helberg is a, you know, a pro journeyman at this point. He's a guy who can come in and, and fill a gap, but probably not be a mainstay in net until he gets probably a bigger opportunity. And that just hasn't come up. So there's a reason why he keeps getting waived. And there's a reason why he keeps getting claimed. He's just in that in-between period. And you've seen goalies break out of that and find themselves sticking in the NHL. And you see goalies who just do that and fizzle out or eventually become career AHLers or whatever it might be. And Helberg is kind of in that, that area of flux, but let's talk about, you know, what this means for the Red Wings and, and what their plan is. So let's look at the Grand Rapids Griffins. Actually, first of all, uh, Helberg's sweet Red Wings pads aren't actually here right now. Max reported, which is super disappointing. <laughs> uh, but in Grand Rapids, uh, they have Olkenora and Bradstrom. The performances haven't been good. Like it, it, it's just not been good stats. I think as of a few days ago, um, Bratstrom had a 405 goals against average and an 874 save percentage, and Okunora had a 421 goals against average and 858 save percentage. Okunora, especially, I get the sense that the team isn't too uh, keen on right now with his performances. Um, he was essentially similar to Helberg, really, like just a, a more seasoned veteran goalie who uh, had, you know, knew how to win games and, and, and do all that, was brought in to stabilize the Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids net a little bit. So you think, okay, Helberg is here to go down in Grand Rapids, but he would have to clear waivers. Very obviously, this is a guy who is good enough to get claimed on waivers, doesn't make it through very easily, and Ottawa and Seattle will tell you all about that. So what's the plan? Great question. I don't know. (laughs) And I actually think that's the right answer. Yeah. So in the short term... This is the one of the very, very few benefits to the boatload of injuries the Red Wings have had is that they're not healthy scratching three guys every night because they don't have enough players to healthy scratch three guys every night so they can... Well, last uh, game they did. They they healthy scratched... Counting Helberg, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah, counting yeah. Helberg. Because right. um, normally teams won't carry three goalies at the NHL. No. Um, so it's very rare you'd ever see a goalie be a, a healthy scratch. And right now it's just Hag and Lindstrom. And let's be honest, after their run this year, they're not going to see a lot of run for the rest of the year. So they have to have injuries to make it in consistently. Exactly. And um, so Helberg can hold that spot until I think Soderblom's probably the closest to coming back. And he might even go to Grand Rapids before Helberg just for conditioning or to get up to speed. I don't know. Um, but he's waiver exempt, so there's a reality here where the Red Wings could carry Helberg as a third goalie for a while, yeah. Um, just in case something happens to Huso or Nedeljkovic, or you know, the really long shot a trade comes up or whatever. There, there's a million reasons you could carry a third goalie for a while. I do think that they probably want Helberg for Grand Rapids. That, that seems like the most obvious answer. But again, like you said, comes with the huge caveat of he'd have to clear waivers, which doesn't seem overly likely at this point. So maybe, you know, Stevie and in his infinite wisdom is waiting for like this 
precise moment where he's like, all right, nobody's getting claimed right now because of reasons X, Y, and Z and, and tries to slide him through. I don't know. Yeah. So there's a lot of possibilities here. I think the Red Wings have the benefit of time on their side, so they will likely use it and just carry three goalies for a while. And then, you know, when push comes to shove roster-wise, whether that's, you know, a couple players coming back or whatever it might be, then they make a decision. Uh, but right now, yeah, I, I think the the legit answer is, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think that's exactly right. This is um, an opportunity that came up. Uh, Eisenman, Lalone said that Eisman said, there's a lot of hockey coming up. We need some kind of insurance in case, you know, whoso or Ned goes down. A lot of hockey coming up means a lot of wear and tear on these guys, and it's it, they're going to be tough games too. Like we've talked about it a lot, but you know, again, let's reiterate what's coming up for the Red Wings. They got Toronto on Monday night, Buffalo on Wednesday, uh, Vegas, and then Columbus, Tampa, Florida, Dallas. Like they're going to see a lot of shots, and we know how important the month of December is. Uh, you only have to listen to any random three minute segment of this podcast to know that. So. Yeah, it's a, a player who could be useful, especially considering what they have coming up uh, for their roster. They don't have to do anything with him in terms of playing him. They don't have to waive him. They can carry him, like you said, Brad, because they they have the space to do that uh, with with all the injuries and, and room to healthy scratch and carry him on the 23-man. But the end result of this might be they eventually have to try waving him and they lose him and they go, well, it's just it, it's not a big grand plan. There's no, you know, well, I don't, you can never know for certain with Steve Eisman, but there's no big trade in the works. There's nothing, there's no hidden nagging injury that we didn't know about. It's just, yeah, Helberg is uh, good insurance right now and, and let's see where it goes. So it makes sense in that it's not anything too substantial. I hope to see him just because of the pads. Sweet name, but the pads are, are unreal. Yeah, that's that's the important thing here, truly. Okay, let's look at the playoff picture. Um We'll start with the Red Wings, who are in a third uh, divisional spe- divisional seed for the Atlantic. So they're in the third seed. Boston, who's only lost three times all season, which is absolutely unreal. Um, really, really getting hindered by that slow start everybody predicted. Um, well, sweetheart schedule, but at the same time, they've been a fantastic team. There's no denying that at all. 18-3, uh, Toronto has played pretty good hockey of late. I think they're... Uh, what's their your six six one and three in their last ten and then Detroit's in that third seed. Um, actually, I, I want to read out some stats here that uh, Max Boltman M underscore Boltman on Twitter he he pulled up um, to give some context for the Red Wings season. So if you're wondering why people are still so and us included especially even are still so hey this is really great we hope to see this continue but the Red Wings are likely to fall out of a you know strong playoff contention. The Red Wings special teams right now doing great. Power play, 12th in the NHL. It's been a long time since the Red Wings have had a power play looking like that. Penalty kill, fantastic. Sixth in the NHL. You've been able to see that all year for the most part. After 20 games at even strength, Detroit's 5-on-5 expected goals share is 25th in the NHL. uh, And their 5-on-5 offense overall is 30th. So... You know, they anytime they do really well five on five, for the most part, it does seem to be propped up by goaltending or a, a random one off big game. But there's only so much, only so far your special team, your special teams can take you. So that's why. But right now, the Eastern playoff picture looks like Boston, Toronto, Detroit, uh, New Jersey, Islanders, and Carolina in the Metro, and the wild card spots are Tampa and Pittsburgh. 
25 points each, but New York has 24 points, Florida 23, Montreal 23, Washington 21. And I think they are all, that's tight. That Eastern Conference is a bloodbath and it's going to get jumbled up a lot. New York, Florida, Montreal, Washington, and if you want to go down as far as Philly even, which of those make it in, do you think? New York and Florida seem like the strongest contenders. I know Florida's got really strong underlyings. Um, the Rangers, I mean, pretty self-explanatory there. Now, that doesn't mean those spots have to come at the expense of Detroit. Detroit's one of the likelier candidates when you look at the eight playoff seeds right now. But yeah, I have a hard time envisioning a team with Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, Shesterkin, Fox yeah. isn't getting in the playoffs. Florida, again, a lot of very obvious reasons. You know, they could bounce an Islanders and a Penguins and the Red Wings hold on to a playoff spot. Um, so this isn't meant to be doom and gloom, but that is two very legitimately good NHL teams who are probably going to knock teams out of the playoffs. So the of the eight playoff teams, nobody outside of like Boston right now can probably feel all that comfortable. Um, Red Wings obviously included. So again, they've put themselves in a position where they don't have a ton for margin room for margin of error, but they have some. Yeah. And, and that's critical, um, right now. So yeah. Yeah. And even watching, I was watching, um, Rangers versus Oilers, man, you can just see those shifts when everything starts to click for them. It's unreal. Like that team should not be that far down the standings and it's early in the season. There's a lot of random things that affect everything, you know, strength to schedule really plays a heavy part into standings and yeah, at this point of the year and, you know, cold streaks, hot streaks can look a little more profound than they actually are. But yeah, it's it's going to be hard to keep those two in particular down. I think the crux of it is exactly what you said. No team that has Shesterkin and then the 11 other great players that you named is likely to miss the playoffs. You can you could have stopped at Shesterkin. I would have said, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Um, the Islanders right now in that second Metro seed, like Sorokin is just absolutely unreal. Oh yeah. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for how good he is. Um, cause you know, I, I think it's not only is he overshadowed by other great goalies in the East, not only is he overshadowed by other great goalies in the Metro, he's just getting overshadowed because of another great goalie in New York. Yeah. If he, <laughs> if, if Sorokin was the one playing at MSG this season, he would have, a ton more credit, but he has been phenomenal for two years now. This isn't a fluke. No, no, like no. this isn't an outlier, Sorokin. He is that guy. Yeah. Montreal, Washington. I don't know. You goal differential is something that you can look at to kind of get a little bit of a picture of how these the season has gone. You're almost a quarter of the way in, or past the quarter mark, actually. Uh, so it's not. I think too early to to start establishing those things. So even if you don't want to get into the underlying numbers. You know the teams that are, I think, a little bit more serious contenders. But hey, a lot can change. Key injuries. Teams have turned it on halfway through the season before. St. Louis is always going to be the case that's used for that. Um, but the East is the most, this is the closest and deepest the playoff race has been for a long time. You know, the fact that I just named Detroit and the Islanders as maybe two divisional seeds that could get bounced out. Like that is, it's fantastic uh, entertainment for the season. Over in the West, uh, the Central has Dallas, Colorado, and Winnipeg. And I don't think Winnipeg's been getting enough credit this season for what they're doing. 
in their divisional seeds. The Pacific has Vegas, who's been absolutely um, fantastic to start their season, especially relative to last year. Seattle in a second divisional seed in LA. Uh, Edmonton and St. Louis are in the wildcard spots. Minnesota tied with them in points. Calgary, 21 points. Nashville, 20. Vancouver, 19. Even Arizona is only five points out. Like The West also has uh, some interesting storylines and I think a lot of teams out of place in my mind that they probably should based on you know the talent on paper be a little higher the east is entertaining because it is a whole hell of a lot of good high quality top end hockey being played the west is tremendous entertainment because almost everybody sucks and anything goes yeah like there's a obviously there's a handful of teams that have really established themselves in the West, but once you get past the top four, five teams, all bets are off for anything, and it makes for some excellent storylines, some crazy entertainment, and a lot of unpredictability, which is what you love. I mean, one of us had Dallas and Winnipeg making the playoffs in our preseason prediction predictions. But Were you the only one who had Winnipeg in? Yeah. yeah, I don't even know if you guys had Dallas. Like, no, I had, no. your central was very different because you guys were be- still believers in Nashville, which I wasn't, and I think you guys were bigger on St. Louis than I was. I can't, I can't remember for the life of me, but I know I, I went out on a limb because I, I refused to bet against Connor Hellebuck too many times in a row, and so far he's probably the front runner for Vesna. That's going to be devastating if I had neither Dallas nor Winnipeg. I mean, it's early. It's way too early to be doing a victory lap. And let's be honest, Winnipeg's not the strongest roster. And if Connor Hellebuck even turns back into a human, they're going to have some problems. Dallas looks like a wagon, though. Like, Ben and Sagan have not gotten back to form, but significantly improved over previous years. They might have one of the best lines in uh, hockey with Jason Robertson's line uh, with, was it Rope Henson and Joe Pavelski. Then they got Haskin and Ottinger. That's a team. That's a team that could make a lot of noise playoff time. But I just looked it up. I didn't have them in. <laughs> didn't have Dallas in? No, I uh, I had them. Uh, yeah, mine is the worst. My central is easily the worst out of us three. I had them at uh, fifth and sixth. I'd, I had Nashville and Minnesota a lot higher. I think I had Minnesota up there too. And uh, maybe we should have seen the cliff coming. Yeah. What did I? I probably had them at second, knowing me. Well, let, let's look at Edmonton and look at Minnesota. Those strike me as teams that are going to want to make moves to solidify their place in. I know Minnesota has that weird cap hell going on. They actually have cap space, though. They do. And they actually they, have some cap space. They have some cap space to play with. Edmonton needs, needs, needs to capitalize on every single year that they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. Edmonton needs, needs, needs a save. Yeah, of course. What, <laughs> what's new? They're missing Evander Kane, and it's been reported that they're looking for someone to fill in. Evander Kane's, you know, he had that horrific cut to his wrist. <laughs> Look, I'm not trying to just drum don't, up some, something out of nowhere. You're telling me Ken Holland's not going to kick tires on Tyler Bertuzzi? Absolutely, he's going to. Ken Holland is a GM who works on familiarity. He's looking for someone to fill in Evander Kane's player archetype, someone who plays with some edge but can produce. He is absolutely... Absolutely going to call about Tyler Bertuzzi. 100%. Well, since you went there, let's lean into the crazy. <laughs> what are the... This is... Everything's connected, Ryan. 
This is why the Red Wings got Magnus Helberg. That team needs a save. That team needs a goal. Nedeljkovic, Bertuzzi for what? I don't... <laughs> like Dylan Holloway in a first. Let's get weird. What? Yeah, oh my God. That'd be an incredible return. Oh, it absolutely would be. Hol- Philip Broberg. Hol- would you? Probably. Holland will will label Holloway as a no-go. Probably. Although that list gets short. If you think you're in a cup window or you need to be competitive and you're running out of years to to maximize on, on Dreisaitl and McDavid's performance and contracts, your no-go list, your non-starter list should shrink. Some GMs try to have their cake and eat it too, and a lot of them do. Some of them even successfully. But any if you're giving up, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi in a trade or you know, Ned even, which I don't think Ned is going to fetch a lot right now based on his performance. Um, yeah, the you, Holloway would be one of the starting asks in the package. I would be surprised if Edmonton even got rid of Broberg, though. Like that. Well, we know what a reputation for his wild trades at the deadline Ken Holland has. <laughs> just just Gary. going out there all in for superstars like Eric Cole and Merrick Zidlitschke. Thank you for uh, entertaining my my tinfoil hat theory. Anyways, uh, the playoff race right now is in both divisions or in both conferences is, I think, impressively entertaining. It's a little more diverse than it was last year. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. It's not just uh, fun from a Red Wings perspective. And the more teams that struggle, the better news it is for Detroit. Okay. Uh, speaking of Seattle, Shane Wright in the AHL with the Firebirds has been phenomenal. Just let the kid play, man. It's the easiest solution. I get it. Is Seattle's job is to go out there and win games. They're in a divisional seed right now. Like they absolutely are not just throwing the season and saying, oh, you know, we can play right or we can play players who we think can't slot into the lineup because it doesn't matter whether we win or, win or lose. No, as of right now, they're in the playoffs in their second season. But you got to find room for right. If he stays in the AHL, that's totally fine. But you just can't have him riding the bench or sitting in the, sitting in the box. Like, the kid's got to play. He's, he's one of the key pieces of the future of that team. He's your solution down the middle uh, alongside Matty Beneers for hopefully their entire careers. You got to have him play, especially considering his missed year due to COVID. It, it can't be surprising that he's doing this in the A right now. Four goals in three games. Weird how that works out. We as Red Wings fans are acutely aware of the drawbacks of the NHL-CHL agreement uh, with, you know, where Michael Rasmussen was at in his development and definitely needed AHL time before he was allowed to play in the AHL. And that looks like that is exactly the case with Shane right here. There needs to be an amendment to this rule. Like, okay, fine if you're like a first round pick or a top 15 pick and you don't make the NHL, then you're eligible for the AHL. Cause this kid sat nine out of 10 games before he went yeah. to the AHL. I know they're in a good spot now timing wise, because by the time his five or two weeks stint or whatever it is in the AHL is up, they'll have one game against Montreal and then he'll probably have to te- be off to Team Canada camp for the World Juniors, and then they can, you know, that buys them a lot of time to decide what they want to do with him, which is probably go to the OHL. I know people have been talking that, you know, Kingston sucks this year, 
and they don't want to send him to the OHL until Kingston facil- facilitates a trade for his rights so that he could go to, um, you know, a, a Peterborough, Kitchener, a London, a, you know, someone that could make a run this year and then Wright can be playing some meaningful high-level hockey and a lot of hockey at that and play with some players who up to his caliber. Um, you know, I think Windsor might even be a good option for Shane Wright this year. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts here, but yeah, this whatever Seattle's plan is, the ultimate plan this year should just be where is he going to play the most games? And at this point, the league almost doesn't matter. Well, they're fortunate that they get to kick the can down the road, but it's going to be a story eventually. File this under, again, good problems to have for Seattle, but I don't think it's all happy-go-lucky because I think Shane Wright's development is so crucial. So, so crucial, especially consider the timing he's missed. Uh, Some other NHL news before we get to uh, overtime here. Um, Just very quickly, Rachel Dory, who... Uh, was a former employee of the Vancouver Canucks, was let go not too long ago, and it's been um, kind of um, a mystery as to why. It doesn't seem to be an amicable uh, situation. Um, Everyone's been very hush-hush about it. Uh, Rachel Dory just actually posted, uh, while we were recording something, a a filing of a, I believe it's technically uh, classified as a human rights complaint against the Vancouver Canucks, in which she alleges that uh, Emily Castingay uh, and the Vancouver Canucks and various members of management uh, are liable for discriminatory actions uh, against Rachel Dory. So uh, if what's detailed here is true, this is going to be very messy for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, what's outlined here is essentially like a false or misguided uh, accusation of of sharing a information with a reporter um, various other things in terms of uh, mental and physical wellness uh, of Rachel Dory. Um, of course, this is just kind of the first domino to fall in terms of what's publicly been posted about this. Uh, but so we haven't heard Vancouver's side, but as of right now, this is it's not going to be a small story. And man, everything out of Vancouver seems to be controversy. It has been for so long. When was the last time that this story about that team was about, you know, anything other than something messy from ownership, from management, from whatever it might be. So we don't know how this one's going to play out. We, we know only what's been posted uh, by Rachel here. So we'll, uh, we'll follow this one and see where it goes. Okay, let's jump into overtime here on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. And we are going to start with our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to support the Dub Dub Club, uh, so-called, uh, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive uh, uh, overtimes that we record right after this, which are way more loose. Uh, I take all the rules away from uh, Brad and Evan, uh, and uh, they have fun with it. We all have fun with it. It's a really good time. Um, we also have uh, an immense number of giveaways. We are giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the majority of them go directly to Patreon supporters. Right now, actually, uh, at this very moment, is um, a giveaway for two tickets to the Leafs-Red Wings game. So that's a big ticket, and it's going to patrons. Uh, also, uh, you get access to the Wing Wheel Podcast Discord, which is just a fantastic community um, and, and ongoing, all-the-time chat going on about the Red Wings podcast. Uh, and we have other channels. We added a World Cup channel, so people can chat there. That's a good time. So patreon.com slash Podcast. 
All right, let's start with this one from Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe. Uh, says, there's a reason that many people don't know what goalie interference is. It's because the NHL has completely redefined the word interference when it comes to goaltenders. The league has essentially made incidental contact a reason to take goals off the scoreboard. If the goalie strays from the blue paint, he shouldn't be fair game. However, he shouldn't automatically get an absolution from contact from other players trying to get a puck they have every right to play. I believe that once a goalie moves beyond the paint, goalie interference should only be called when a player makes contact with the goalie when the intent of... Uh, with the intent of preventing the goalie from reestablishing position in front of the net. In short, incidental contact and interference are not the same on open ice, and that shouldn't change anywhere that's outside of the blue blue paint. I'm fine with making blue paint area larger for bring some clarity and consistency to this issue. That's an interesting suggestion, making the crease bigger. P- please no. That I, I do think that would be fixing one issue and, and opening up a lot of other ones, just making more areas where you can't touch the goalie or be, you know, near the net. Um, if you make the crease bigger, there would have to be a rule amendment that says if a player makes contact with the goalie anywhere outside of that blue paint, it is not taking a goal off the board. Like if you're giving the goalies more room to roam and they are completely and 100% safe within the blue, then they are complete. Like, I'm not saying they should get run. Like, I'm not saying they're open season, not in that context. But if a player skating past the crease and the goalie's outside the crease and his skate runs into the goalie's skate and puts the goalie's on his ass, okay, then that would count. I don't like this. I, I don't want to do that. The goalie interference rule is bad, but it's not all that unclear right now. Um, Sean McIndoe, Down Goes Brown's done a lot of stuff with goalie interference over the years, and he's cleared up a few things, namely, if there is even incidental contact in the crease, the benefit of the doubt, 99 out of 100 time goes to the goalie. If your foot is in blue and you just ever so slightly brush one of the goalie's ass hairs, (laughs) the goal is coming off the board. Outside the blue, that's where the water gets a little murkier these days. But the NHL has established the precedence that they are very sensitive on the topic. And if you at all impede the goalie's ability to make the save, it's coming off the board. Unless your team directed the opponent into your goalie. So however slight it might be, it's coming off the board. Now, fundamentally, I disagree with that as the rule stands, but that is exactly how they are calling it. Uh, okay, let's take one here from Matthew Guess, who says, uh, when will you uh, start to change your mind about the Cider and Sherat pairing? Just needing more time to figure things out. Uh, the team's D game has improved over the past six to seven games, analytically speaking, but the Sherat cider pairing has not shown too many improvements. Cider has begun to shine, sure, but those two as a pair are just not good together, and I feel like this is being underappreciated and looked at with rose-colored glasses since it's simply a big Eisenman move taking uh, Sherratt on a long contract. I personally think the reason is simple. The styles are just not good together. Cider needs a reliable defender, not a guy who goons people. Cider is not soft on the ice. He doesn't need Sherratt's style of game. So, Matthew, I actually uh, I think I agree a lot with what you're saying. I think what we're probably seeing here is an incompatibility of play styles. Um, I don't think that just the fact that Eisman signed this guy is why anyone, 
you know, saying that it's good because it, it, defensively, we've talked about it at length. It's not been good defensively. Uh, giving it time, you know, would I have wanted to see a change by now? Yes, but that's not considering how good Mata and Ronick have been. And that's the real big hang up. And I would bet that's a real big hang up with the Red Wings. It's part of it is just understanding that the Red Wings are not going to move Sherratt down to the third pair, at least not anytime soon. Um, and you don't want to break up that that Mata Hironic pairing based on A, how Hironic is thriving off of it, and B, the fact that by some numbers, it's one of the more effective pairings in the entire NHL. So they're kind of locked in place. Uh, I see lower down, Matthew, you suggest, you know, moving Wallman up with Cider. I actually really like that idea. I just want to kind of see how it works. Max talked about it too, but it's kind of a catch-22. Are you really going to pull in Sherratt 20 games into his Red Wings career, paying him that much money over that much term, and he's on the third pairing 20-21 games in? Is it the right move? There's a really strong argument for it. I would probably argue in favor of at least trying it. I agree with you, Matthew. Um, I would call it one of the more unlikely roster moves that you could project on defense this season. It's This isn't you know good problem to have. It, it's a little bit complicated, uh, but they're going to need to... I think they're going to give a lot of runway to see if they can figure it, figure it out and see if Cider can can uh, adjust his game and even Sherrod as well. I don't think the onus just needs to be on Cider. I've been a proponent of this not being a pairing since before they played together. Not that I was saying there was a better option and this was obviously before we knew the Mata Heronic thing, but I, I had my reservations about Sherrod. He's come pretty much as advertised. I We were hoping it would work with Cider. It still might work with Cider. I really like the way Jake Wallman's playing. I don't give a crap about contracts. If you think something's better, do it. If, you know, Ben Schrott's making whatever, almost over $16 million on this contract, if he has to do it on the third line, I don't think his life's over. I think, you know, he can make it work. Oh, it's not about the player. It's, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he can make it work. What this question ultimately comes down to is, how much runway is too much runway for you? Am I upset that we're 20 games into the season and they haven't tried anything else yet? No, because I don't think 20 games is a huge runway. I, I think there's definitely more time that they could give to this and it not be detrimental. I think December is going to be the catalyst here because if they are in this tough part of their schedule and this pairing you know, continues to struggle probably worse than they have been just because their quality of competition is going up. That's probably when you start throwing some other things at the wall. I mean, there were moments last year where Osterley and Sider looked capable, not good, but capable. Wallman has been come to the Red Wings better than advertised. Maybe he's the guy that goes over there. I don't know what the option is. Obviously, Mata is the best option, but you're not breaking up that pairing. You're just not. It's working. You make something else work and you leave Mata and Hironic alone. Maybe Mata is the best option in theory. In theory, yeah. 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 But yeah, I'm I'm at the point I don't care if they do or don't change it because, again, it's been a pretty short runway. Should I be using that example after a plane run off the <laughs> went off the runway right near my house this week? Did it really? Yeah, 737. And it missed you? Yeah, just barely. Like it ended up in my front yard. It's a, it's like a redneck's house now. Instead of car parts, I got plane parts. <laughs> but um, 
I think there's a lot of time for uh, for this to still be worked out. Yeah, I, I don't want to say I'm not concerned. I I am, but it's just one of those things where it's like, are the Red Wings are the Red Wings really going to do anything other than give it more time? I'm I'm torn. I'm torn, like I mentioned before. But uh, it's a fair criticism. You know, it's not been good. And if you're going to pay a guy that much that early, we said, you know, to come into the season, bef- not counting Cop's injury, uh, but Cop and Sherratt, you know, the expectation should be there for them right away. Cop's injury changed things a little bit, but for Sherratt as well. So when you're evaluating Sherratt, is he, has he been uh, effective in his own game? Depends on what you're looking at, but has he been effective in the role they've put him out in? It's There's been some to be desired there. And there's also, you know, I think Cider just didn't have a good start to the season too. Like we can't pin anything bad that ever happens to Mo Cider on other players as well. He needed time to really refine his game, but that isn't going to be an ongoing discussion. Large Thorzell says, Hey boys, uh, once we're closer to injury free, the team will face some difficult decisions. Can Fabry and Zadina reclaim spots as everyday players? Can you demote a uh, Jonathan Berggren who has five points in seven games and looks good? Um, I would bet that Fabry gets, as as long as Fabry is rust-free, like they're going to ease him in, so I don't think he's going to take top six minutes or anything. Uh, they'll ease him in, and, and he has enough goodwill, and he's been effective as a Red Wing, more or less, so he'll get his time. I have a hard time seeing Zadina forcing the issue. If Berggren's playing as he is right now, I, I think Zadina will be in a tough spot with either tough minutes or in the press box more often than he would like. That said, you don't know what the injury status is going to be. You don't know if the Red Wings will ever be fully healthy. You know, teams always have a rolling amount of injuries. If it's if they do get to fully healthy, Zadina is going to have to make a lot out of a little to outcompete, you know, Berggren, Soderblom, Fabry, whoever else is there. That's he's not he doesn't have a good foundation to work off of. Uh all right, let's take a question here. Let's go to Reddit, actually. Let's take a couple of Reddit questions to, to wrap up. Background Junket35 says, at what point does Larkin not being signed become really worrisome? Yeah, that, that window's closing quicker than I think we like to admit because we're only three months from the trade deadline. I said preseason, if we're going into 2023 with no Larkin contract, I am significantly concerned. I'm already concerned. I think any Red Wings fan who's nervous right now, is per- it's perfectly fair for them to be nervous. I'm nervous, but not to the point where it's keeping me up at night. But we're getting close. Yeah, if, if, if Santa Claus doesn't drop a new contract to Dylan Larkin's house this Christmas, uh, we're going to start asking some questions. In every single game he plays... There is a bigger, bigger chorus of pay the man. The shootout winner. Everyone's like, pay the man. He's playing excellent two-way hockey. Pay the man. He's producing, whether it's with Raymond, whether it's with Bertuzzi, whether it's with Kubelik, whatever. Pay the man. On games where there's nothing going offensively for the Red Wings, Larkin comes in and does it. Pay the man. You know, that that diving through Arvidsson's legs save that he had to steal a point for the Red Wings against the Kings, pay the man. So I understand people saying it. The issue is he don't know what he's asking for. If he's asking for 10 and a half, I understand why they're at a, a crossroads here, but it's it's getting a little bit anxious. Uh, Lord of Finessing says, who do you think will win the World Cup? Oof. You know what? 
let's say Spain. Well, yeah, maybe. Certainly not Canada. It uh, started out good for them today, but then um, ended up losing 4 1 to Croatia. England and USA tied, which England was, you know, riding over and the USA was riding over in the other direction. Like they were, <laughs> that was a win for the States. It was an uneventful game, but good on the States for, for hanging in there with England. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Spain. It's a cheap answer, but. Calgary uh, Cheek Clapper says, been wondering about this all year. What's the general opinion on constant line juggling? I just wonder to what extent players need time to gel and be their most effective. Wings fans are no strangers to line juggling from Blashill days, but Lalone seems to have a particularly short leash. I love Lalone and I don't have a solid opinion one way or another. Would love to hear your thoughts. I think, uh, I think as things have worked, they've stuck. Like we've seen the defensive pairing stick and that's been anchored by modern Ronick. The third pair has changed a lot and the first pair has stayed as it is out of necessity, really. Um, but, you know, the most recent iteration of the top six has stuck because the Red Wings were not finding scoring when they needed it. And finally, they were able to. I think that Columbus game really drove it home. Um, but yeah, it's Cop, Raymond, and Bertuzzi on that second line. Um, Perron, Kublik, and Larkin on the first line. So I think it's a normal amount of line movement for a team that's not producing. If the Red Wings, if the lines weren't being juggled, then the Red Wings would have better 5 on 5 offense, and I wouldn't have read out that max stat. I'm generally not a fan of line juggling because, you know, chemistry is a very real thing and, and you need some to be able to pick up on your line mates' habits, timing, etc. There's two reasons in my mind where you legitimately need to juggle the lines. One, injuries. You don't have a choice. You have to. And two, if you're not scoring. And on both those points, uh, the Red Wings, a giant yes. So lots of line juggling needed still. All right, last question here before we wrap up from Detroit Rob, who says, do you see foresee any scenario in which we are buyers at the trade deadline? I'll stop chugging my Kool-Aid soon enough. I can think of a couple of very specific ones. We talk, we keep talking December, December, December. Let's say the Red Wings make it out of December with a really good winning record. They beat tough, tough teams. They're still in divisional seed heading into the new year or firmly in a wild card spot. They're in it. And the Red Wings are in the mix where... You know, it's no longer talking about, oh, this won't hold. It's we just need to have a like a run good for the rest of the season around the trade deadline around, you know, that late February, early March area. And they're like, yeah, we just need to run good and and we'll squeeze in because such and such teams. Florida has fallen off, as has Pittsburgh. In that situation, I could see the Red Wings evaluating, you know, did we have a key injury at center or are we missing some solid lefty because so-and-so is out? I could see them buying there. Um, I can see them getting an offer they can't refuse for a player like Bertuzzi or Ronick, but that means they want to replace that player uh, in terms of effective effectiveness for the rest of the season. So they might try to buy a rental to as a stopgap. It's not impossible. I can absolutely see it. They might look at what Olimata is doing on the left side and say, we want a version of that from Mo Sider and we'll buy a little bit of a better version of Olimata. I don't know if that exists on the market, but they might try to do that too. Like they... I wouldn't call it likely, but I wouldn't call it a 0% chance like we would have any of the last five or six seasons. I don't know. Am I crazy, Brad? This is a could they, should they? And could they? Yeah, I could see the reality. You know, give the team a bit of a boost um, and reward them for a good season to that point. Injuries could be a factor. Could be a lot of reasons why they could justify buying at the deadline. Yeah. Should they? 
No. I I have a hard time seeing a scenario where the Red Wings should be buying at this deadline. Ignoring the, hey, we're paying a sixth-round pick to fill a hole on our fourth-line bottom pair D. Okay, those trades are so insignificant. Who cares? But in terms of being like giving up any appreciable asset for a rental at the deadline should not happen for the Red Wings this year. Uh, again, under almost any circumstance, because I've been a vocal proponent since the early days of this podcast, you only give up appreciable assets at the deadline if it is for a player who is going to be on your team for many years to come or you are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, not playoff team, cup contender, which could I see the Red Wings making the playoffs this year? Absolutely. Could I see Huso getting hot and the Red Wings stealing around? Absolutely. Do I see the Red Wings winning a Stanley Cup this year? Good God, no. No, absolutely not. So you save those assets because you might need them next year at the deadline or the year after. Look at what happened to Florida now. They they were a legit cup contender, but they kind of went a little overboard, and now they have almost nothing left to give up for when they need to buy at the upcoming deadlines. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to say, oh, yeah, the Red Wings have had a ton of second-round picks. There's a ton of those guys in the system. It's okay if we give up a second-round pick this year. You might need to pick this guy and trade him at next year's deadline when you're a much better team. You know, if the Red Wings swing a huge trade in the offseason and all of a sudden, let's say they've got a second Dylan Larkin on the team, yeah, you're probably in a window to buy then, and you want to have as many assets as possible. Then all of a sudden, your system's not... Absolutely in the tank if you trade a Johansson, a Willinder, you know, whoever. So, again, could I see it? Yeah. Should they? I No. I have so much um, Ryan's bullshit energy, which Mel will tell you all about, that I want to throw at you right now, but we should probably wrap up this episode. Uh, Folks, thanks for tuning into the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. Uh, There's usually one more of us meathead uh, meatheads here. Uh, if you're a listener of old, thank you so much for, for supporting us for so long. Uh, we'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, nordvpn.com slash winged wheel to get that great discount. Uh, and we'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters. You all have blown us away with your support. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope to see everyone at hot stove stories featuring Mick and Ken on Thursday, December 1st. Uh, and be sure to grab your winged wheel podcast, Mickey Redmond style flannel, at wingwheelpodcast.com slash shop before they're gone again. We'd like to thank our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Gron Foundation, Akefer, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crime Ryan Hannes Banana Slam Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl, Brutina Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evan Lob singing, Mash bringing, Hash slinging, Slasher, Philip Zadina, the prophet of the second pair, right D. Philip Ronick, Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Basam Al Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Sea Wolf, The Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number One Detroit Red Guys fan, 
Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie. Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Connor Leitonen, Darren Fick, Dave W., Philip Zadiz Nuts, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Oophelia, Papa Woody, Reed Baldwin on behalf of the Reed Baldwin Foundation, Thick Rick, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so much, and we will talk to you on Thursday this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.